You're listening to the Sewing and Growing podcast and radio show with Jay and Jay. Hello, everyone. We're back and we're back with you. Thank you for coming back to the Sewing and Growing podcast with Jay and Jay. We had a slew. A slew. Is that a word? A slurry. A slew. A slew um, of great guests. Yeah. Look that up on your phone. I want you to check to see if I actually am using real vocabulary on this podcast. A slew of great guests. We had, first off, Pastor Trina Hankins. Then we had Pastor Mark Hankins in the first ever sewing and growing Bible study. And then we had Andrew, our missionary friend. Uh, definition of slew is a large number or amount or extent. A slew of journalists. So a slew is a word. Was yeah. it the proper word yeah. for that? A slew of guests on our, yep. yep. All right, Good cool. Job. But today it's just the OGs. It's yeah. J and J, Pastor Jonathan and myself. And it's feeling a whole lot more like fall, which in my humble opinion is the best time in Colorado. I don't know where you're listening. Every now and then I look and see where people are listening. Somebody listened from Spain. I don't know who huh. listened from Spain, but that's cool. Uh, yeah. You're in the Northern Hemisphere, so you definitely experience a fall as well. I'm not sure what it's like. I want to go see the Rock of Gibral Gibraltar. Gibraltar. Off the Horn of Africa. Yeah, there. you know, you if not you're going to go see Africa, the Rock of Gibraltar, you might sail through the Strait of Gibraltar. You get a better view if you did sail through the Strait of Gibraltar. Yeah, you know, in geography, in like middle school, they made us learn all that stuff. There was a certain amount of straits in the world. I'm like, only one's coming to my mind right now, the Strait of Gibraltar. There's one off of the tip of South Africa as well, or not South Africa, South America. Hmm. You know what it is? Central to South or? It's like at the very bottom of South America. No, I don't know what it is. The Strait of... Um... Isn't there a Strait of Hermuz? Sure. That sounds right. Look it up. Look up Hermuz. Yeah. You looked up Slough. <laughs> now you're looking up Hermuz. But for everyone in our valley, which is the Colorado River Rowing Fork Valley, there is a rock in between Newcastle and the church that I think looks like the rock or the horn of Gibraltar. You know what I'm talking about? It yeah. sticks off kind of over the river. It has a similar appearance yeah. Yeah. to the rock of Gibraltar. And then there's a tree. I'm just going to name items that you can see as you go drive on I-70. There's a tree on Highway 6 in between the church and New Church and Newcastle that looks like an African tree. Mm. Yes, that's my favorite tree. Two things to look out for as you drive. Okay, the one I'm thinking of off of South America, you're going to be kicking yourself when you hear what it. What is it? The Strait of Magellan. Magellan. Yeah. Yes. Um, I don't know. The Strait of Malacca? The Strait of Hormuz. There right. The Strait of Hormuz is uh, between the Persian Gulf and the Gulf of Oman. 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 That would Oman. be the way to say it. It provides the only sea passage from the Persian Gulf to the open ocean. A great person to ask the proper pronunciation would be Muhammad Faridi, which yeah. we have a podcast about. You were unable to be there. You got sick, sick the day of the podcast, but yeah. it is a great podcast. You have a great podcast for us today. Yeah, man. We're finishing up the myth of adolescence. So a number of weeks ago. It was delayed. But yeah, it was delayed, but it's not denied, man. There it is. Uh, myth of adolescence part one we i'll give a brief summary of what we talked about we talked about how the word teenager wasn't really invented until the 1940s and 
kind of the agenda of society was to render the youth powerless by thinking that they have no uh nothing to contribute until they get older so that we kind of developed this stage of life called the teenager where we don't expect much of them they may have the desires of an adult but none of the responsibility or really any of the skills to succeed um in adulthood so we talked about how that's really just a myth it's shackles around the mind and what you can do as maybe a parent of a youth or if you're a youth listening to this to really break out of that mold unloose you know untie yourself from the rope the proverbial rope and stake we talked about how elephants are controlled from from birth basically by putting a small little stake in the ground with the something tied around their foot and they get used to that tension they get used to that resistance and then they don't they don't walk away even though they have all the power to uproot a tree there's a third listener that would benefit from this podcast and you mentioned it in the previous podcast the kidult yes some of those are those who have failed to launch or arrested development right one of those is a movie with matthew mcconaughey and the other one's a tv show that i've never watched so therefore you're not endorsing it no failure to launch um is more than just a movie it's a real problem with adults so if you're a kid adult, no shame but let's launch let's get in the game let's go let's get in the game all right so then we talked about some things you could do um i kind of gave a brief list of things that you can do to break out of it doing hard things um, so we're going to go over these today, um, doing things that are outside of our comfort zone, things that are beyond or expected or even required of us, uh, doing things that are too big for just you alone. And then finally, actually two more, sorry, do, doing things that don't pay off immediately and taking a stand against the crowd. So we're going to, we're going to blow through these because we've got a lot of information and I want to keep it within our time frame. We usually do not we do not. We've been kind of going over thirty minutes lately, so I apologize. Maybe we, that. Maybe that's nice. We had an extra person we needed to acknowledge on the last three podcasts, yeah. therefore there's more time. Yeah. All right. So this is the myth of adolescence, part two. We're going to start with doing hard things, breaking out of your comfort zone. So, can you remember a time in your life where something was completely beyond you? Maybe it was tying your shoes. That. I'm helping my four-year-old with that right now, and it blows her mind. She goes, how do you do that? And, you know, I like to play it up a little bit. I don't, I don't, I don't uh, attribute it to magic or anything, but I kind, of, I kind of have fun with it. She thinks I'm a superhero. Uh, riding a bike without training wheels, right? Learning how to read. That's another thing we're, we're training our four-year-old in right now. We're, we're teaching her the letters, and she'll get it but right now at this stage it blows her mind how we can look at the stuff on the paper and read it and make a coherent sentence mm. right but now these things they're just automatic they're part of our daily routines we don't even think about them we just do them so as silly as this might seem they prove a really important point that when we take a step despite feeling uncomfortable and afraid our comfort zone begins to expand right you step out of your comfort zone all right. What, who, there's that famous quote, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. I've heard it. Right. I don't remember who said that, but it's a great quote. And as soon as you step out of it, then you start doing things you're not comfortable with. Then they become comfortable. Now your comfort zone is expanding. All right. Have you noticed that even when we successfully step out of our comfort zone, we still respond the same way to a new challenge, kicking and screaming. Another movie. Right? I think Will Ferrell's in that, that movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's a soccer coach in that movie. We have now been challenged to expand our comfort zone yet again so more times than not we choose comfort over challenge that's just 
almost that's just inherent human nature but there's a high price to put to pay when we choose to remain you know in our little routines unknowingly we build an invisible fence around ourselves uh nothing challenging is allowed in even if it has the potential to set us free so usually when i ask younger people what scares them or to list things outside of their comfort zone it usually goes it goes like this like Number one is usually public speaking. That's true for most of society. Traveling to a new place, uh, meeting new people. But when we choose to do these things, they create some of the best memories and stories for us. Amen Wouldn't you agree? To totally. And take a sip. Hold on. Yeah. The moments that you say something you were scared to say and your heart doesn't stop beating, you keep living, you move forward right. in life, your life just got bigger yep. and better. Yes. So the fences that we build around ourselves are built out of fear. Okay, fear of weakness, failure, um, discomfort, fear of humiliation. Um, I had a funny story where I was a server at a dinner theater and the tables were all really, really close. And I was doing, I was serving, you know, the tables in the back and they were like, the people up front need water refilled. And there was like literally a foot between their tables and the stage. And they're watching the production and I'm right in the middle. I fill up somebody's glass right in the middle. Everyone's looking at me. I mean, I'm getting in the way and I'm trying to not let the ice pour out of the pitcher. And I spill everything all over the people, the play. It didn't stop, but it felt like it stopped and everyone just started looking at me and I wanted to crawl in a hole, but I was in a very, I was already in a very claustrophobic space, but I could not get out of it. So I'm like, sorry, everybody. Sorry. Sorry. It was. It stuck with me. But you're still here I'm to tell still the story. Here, so yeah. even if you step out and it goes terribly <laughs> wrong. But it creates a really funny story and a funny memory. Everything that's been terrible in my life, for the most part, I've been able to yeah. turn into something that I laugh about and I actually connect with other people about. Yeah. That's good. Um, so here's the truth. You can't live by fear and faith at the same time, right? Second Timothy 1.7 says that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So if you look at all the heroes in the Bible who did great things, they did it outside of their comfort zone and with the help of God. So their main, their main job requirement, skill set, I guess you could say, was faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So let me give you three truths about breaking out of your comfort zone. Number one, God works through our weakness to accomplish his plans. So I'm the kind of guy who likes to do things that I know I'm good at. Um, and if I'm not, I tend to tend to shy away from those things. Um, but that's not a good behavior. Think about Gideon in the Bible. He was shying away. Um, you know, they found him in a wine press, right? And they, uh, the angel of the Lord, right, found him in the wine press. Um, and if you read the story of Gideon, he ended up doing really amazing things for God, but he had to completely step out of his comfort zone. God loves to take people who are shy and insecure because Gideon, he was the least of his family and his family was the least of their tribe. And I think their tribe was the least out of all the tribes. So that's like a triple whammy, triple, uh, yeah. And until you embrace your weakness, you'll probably never experience his strength yeah. because grace is made perfect in weakness. Yeah. That's what Amen. God told Paul. Yeah. And it's not about feeling strong. It's about obeying God, even when you're afraid. So here's uh, truth number two. Courage is not the absence of fear. So I like this one. Um, like I said earlier, your fence is, is built by fear. And usually our fear is caused by something that legitimately might make us afraid. The problem is when we're afraid, we sit and we wait and we wait and we wait. What are we waiting for? A lot of times we're waiting for the fear to go away. Think about jumping off the diving board for the first time or kids, you know, 
you go to the pool and there's that kid who gets up there and they take a few take a few bounces and they stare at the pool and they eventually back out. They're waiting for that overwhelming fear to subside. Um, so the truth is that if you're waiting for fear to go away before you step out, you'll be waiting for a very, very long time. Until we take the step in spite of our fear, we will never do anything hard or difficult. Um, so if we want to do hard things, if we want to grow and learn for the rest of our lives, we need to overcome these fears, not by making them go away, but by recognizing that there's something worse than discomfort, worse than the unknown, and even worse than failure. The worst thing we can do is never try at all. Some of the biggest regrets people have in life is not doing something, it's not doing something, right? Having something in their heart that they wanted to do, never did it. That's their biggest regret. And here's the thing about overcoming fear. Um, the word overcome means to overwhelm or overpower. And think about this, uh, a plane gets uh, takes off not by getting rid of gravity. It, gets, it, it takes off in the air by overwhelming or overpowering the law of gravity with another law called the law of lift. And so that's the whole thing. We're like fear, it, it, you know, if we're just waiting for it to go away, it's going to take, it's, it's not going to happen. So what you got to do is overwhelm it with something that's even more true. Um, and understanding that God, if God's calling you to do something, he's equipping you and empowering you and he will give you the courage to step out and you overwhelm that fear with the law of love. So help me reconcile this because we know that the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. And what I'm saying right now is that fear is not really going to go away. I think it's talking about maybe two different things. Um, that scripture I think is really referring about the fear of like, of like I think it's impossible to have to perfect heaven. love that's separate and devoid of action. So sure, the Bible says perfect love drives out fear, but is it a pixie wand that waves over your life no. and then fear's gone? Or are the actions and the steps of love that you take what actually drives out the enemy of fear in your life? God delivered the Israelites into the promised land, but they actually had to possess the land and drive out the enemies that were already defeated. Yeah. So I think love causes you to move it doesn't cause you to shrink back for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son there has to be some action so what you're saying is take the action of love and as you do what you're going to find is fear doesn't wait for you and then go okay fear doesn't go i'll leave and then you can step in as you step in fear leaves amen i like that that's not necessarily reconciling it well no i just know that if i was listening to myself speak i'd probably you would bring, have that i'd yeah, have come that on, question the Bible says this yeah yeah. I would say this, someday is not on the calendar. And often we're waiting for yep. someday when I'm not so scared, I'll do it. Someday you're never going to get that on yeah. the calendar. Yeah, I like that. When you take that step, when you take that action for your leaves, when you finally jump into the pool off the diving board, you realize, man, I did not need to be afraid of that. And the fear immediately leaves. But you had to supersede it with courage and take the leap. All right. So that's... um. Uh, stepping out of your comfort zone. So let's talk about this, doing things that don't pay off immediately. So we live in the instant generation. Um, we've talked about this a lot. We call this generation the microwave the microwave uh, generation, right? Um, that's why the supplement industry is a booming industry. We want to take something that will immediately dissolve fat. But nothing really does that like hard work, right? Calorie deficit. So what we don't realize is that nothing is instant and we'll never see the payoff unless we work. The payoff is created by a lot of little boring and time consuming things that add up over time. We would like to call that compound interest, right? And we don't realize that some of these 
insignificant things we do have a direct correlation with the end goal. Some of the hardest and most tedious things that we have to do, uh, you know, that we have to work at, like for myself, keeping my house clean, waking up on time, reading my Bible, but these things can have a huge effect on your life. So why don't we do these in the, in the smaller hard things? So thinking about this, number one, they don't usually go away after we do them right? Your room or your house doesn't stay clean, right? Dishes don't stay washed. Teeth don't stay brushed. We want to do it once and have it be okay. But there's always going to be another quiz or another test in school, another temptation to say no to. It doesn't really ever stop. That's kind of why we, we shy away from these things. Number two, they don't seem very important. Spending time with a sibling that annoys you doesn't seem like a big deal, but it could cost you your relationship down the road. Um, number three, they don't seem like they make a difference in five years. Will it matter if I cleaned my room today or not? Mm. Maybe not that specific action, but what that's building in you, right? Being faithful with little, being faithful with much, you're right. How you do anything is how you do everything. There's a lot of correlation there. Uh, number four, they don't seem glamorous, right? Cleaning the toilet of your house. But what happens when you don't clean the toilet? Ew. <laughs> it stinks. And number five, no one's watching. Everyone knows about the kid who's running a a, you know, a charity for cancer patients, but nobody knows that I'm taking care of my sick grandma and trying to study for a test at school at the same time. That's a very specific use case as example. Um, it's not a personal one. I was just, I wrote it down. That was good. I like it. Right. We want people to notice our hard work. A lot of times that doesn't happen. Jesus said this in Matthew six, what is done privately will be rewarded openly. He also said this in Luke 16, that those who are faithful with what is small will be trusted with something much bigger. Colossians 3, whatever we do, do it with our whole heart, not unto men, but unto the Lord. Proverbs 10 says that the hand of the diligent makes one rich. And finally, Hebrews 6, 12 says that faith and patience receives the promise. So God has amazing promises for us, but uh, they are waiting for us down the line. We can't just go through life and expect to run into them at some point. We have to position ourselves by doing the small things correctly, consistently mm -hmm. over time, positions you for the great promise. Good. Amen? So every decision we make, every action, no matter how small or insignificant, is defining our future harvest, right? Small seeds make big weeds, but they can also produce a harvest that can multiply and feed nations. That seems like a quote. I wrote that down. I'm like, that is really good. who is that from? I don't think it's from me. So whoever said that, nice. <laughs> um, here's something cool. We're going to take a lesson from the Vikings, all right? So uh, Vikings were, you know, fierce pirate warriors that terrorized Northern Europe, okay, like a thousand years ago. They looted, they burned down pretty much every European country uh, that bordered the Atlantic Ocean. So the Europeans, the Europeans were so scared of them that churches often offered a special prayer to God. God, deliver us from the fury of the Northmen, of the Northman. So historians attribute the Vikings' effectiveness to two things. Sorry, I've been, I'm drinking a Coke Zero and it's extra fizzy today. It says this, number one, their warships were very strong, but very light. Light enough that they could be dragged into onto the beach. This allowed them to make lightning fast strikes and then retreat back into the sea. And number two, they were the only force in Europe to row their own boats to battle. This is interesting. Most other sea powers had slaves or professional rowers to row their boats to battle, but the Vikings took full responsibility for that repetitive and strenuous activity. They understood the value of rowing their own warships. 
over time, it produced stronger men. They were stronger than anyone they faced. They didn't always have to have more men to overpower an army, just stronger ones. So what we can learn from that is if we're willing to strive for excellence, even in the boring, repetitive tasks and responsibilities that others delegate away or even neglect, we will reap the benefits that others miss. So that reminds me of Colossians 3 again. In everything we do, even the boring, tedious, repetitive stuff, do it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. Now, the Vikings were not doing it unto the Lord, um, but the principle remains the same, right? So uh, that's um, the second point. Um, let's see. What else? What else do I want to talk about on this one before I move on? Let's see. Uh, we're, we're about 20 minutes in. Um, let's talk a little bit about the power of delayed gratification. Um, so, uh, published in a, uh, 1972, there's a popular study. Um, it was, it was known as the marshmallow experiment, but it wasn't the treat that made it famous. It was the interesting part about this that came years later. So, um, basically they, you know, they put marshmallows in front of kids and they said, you can have this one now, or if you wait for me to get back, you can have more. And a lot of the kids chose the instant. Um, so anyways, as the years rolled on and, and the children grew up that were in this test, the researchers conducted follow-up studies and tracked each child's progress in a number of areas. And what they found was really surprising. The children who were willing to d delay the gratification and waited to receive the second marshmallow ended up having higher SAT scores, lower levels of substance abuse, uh, lower obesity rates, uh, lower uh, a better response to stress, better social skills, and generally better scores in a range of other life measures. The researchers followed up with the children uh, for more than 40 years, and over and over again, the group who waited patiently for the second marshmallow succeeded in whatever capacity that they were being measured. So in other words, this series of experiments proved that the ability to delay gratification was critical for success in life right? That's amazing. Critical for success in life. So let's move on. Um, let's talk about doing things that are too big for yourself. Um, 1 Corinthians 3.9 says that we are co-laborers with God. So we're supposed to do things together. Co is the prefix for together and labor means work. So work together. That's what we are doing with God. It means work together. Your success in life is dependent on how well you can work with God and how well you can work with other people. So all throughout the New Testament, we see what God's part is and what our part is. He has given us everything we need, um, his calling, his spirit, his gifts, his guidance, and his word. And it's our job to use what he's given us to accomplish what he has told us to do, okay? Co-laboring or collaboration with God isn't two people swinging the same hammer together. Right? It's God providing the hammer and you swinging it. Amen? As soon as we clear the miscon this misconception up, it eliminates a lot of frustration, especially frustration that we might have with God. A lot of times we're waiting for God to do something that he's asked us to do. It's like, God, true. swing the hammer, hit the nail, build the house. He says, no, I've given you the tools. You build the house. This is how we co-labor together. So now God's desire is not just for us to work in union with him, but to work in union with other people. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, two are better than one because together they can work more effectively. If one of them falls down, the other can help him up. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, people fall, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. And there's an old proverb. Um, it's not a biblical proverb, but it's just a, it's just a proverb. Many hands may make light work. 
I feel like that's a Franklin. Yeah. Benjamin Franklin. I want to see who said it. Look it up. Google it. So imagine something small that you can hold in one hand. Maybe it's a rock. You know, it's it's an idea that you've jotted down and, and that you folded up. Now imagine something bigger that requires both hands. Now imagine something so big it requires more people to help you move it. This is collaboration. Okay. Holding tight to an idea means you have to you have complete control over something that's very, very small. When the idea gets bigger, it's harder to move. So collaboration means surrendering control to move something way bigger than you could on your own. Um, but who we collaborate is really important with too. You know, the Bible reminds us that we need to be doing the right thing with the right people, um, right? Uh, bad company corrupts good morals. Second Timothy 2 says to flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. And then it also says, and pursue peace along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. So a study of horses revealed that one horse could pull an average weight of 2,500 pounds. The test was then repeated with two horses, right? You'd expect for it to be double, right? You'd expect it to be 5,000 pounds. But that wasn't true. The horses that were working together could pull 12,500 pounds. So, right, if one can put 1,000 to flight, two putting 10,000 to flight, that's multiplication, right? That's five times the amount that one could pull. So um, doing things with other people is what we're called to do, but it's how you multiply influence, multiply so power, multiply reach. Amen? Right? There's power in numbers. Go ahead. Nothing. That's good. Keep going. All right. Um, so the next one, and I'll be brief because I, I got to wrap up here. The next one is um, going beyond what is expected or required of you. So I, I just have a few thoughts on this. Um, we see it in today's society, um, the hireling mentality versus the ownership mentality. You know, people working kind of lower wage jobs a lot of times have the hireling mentality they say i'm going to only do the bare minimum i'm only going to do what i get paid for which kind of makes sense to the natural mind but increase promotion always comes when you go above and beyond um you know as an employer they're looking for you to put in more so here's 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 the here's the struggle you know a lot of times people will say well if you paid me more i would do more work but you are basically giving giving a guarantee without any proof that that guarantee is going to come to pass Does that makes sense so as an employer it says why don't you prove to me first that you that you can do what you say you're going to do and then i will reward that if you go above and beyond that and that's the same thing with god right we we were talking about it in the previous things being faithful with little you know if you are faithful with the small things god will entrust you with much larger things so Take a, take, take a page out of the Bible's book, man. If God is expecting that of you, you know, in everything that you do, right? How you do anything is how you do everything. Prove that you can do the small things well, that you can go above and beyond even in the things that seem like they don't matter to you because everything matters to God and he will reward you. He will make increase happen in your life. But if you have that hireling mentality that says, I'm only gonna do what I get paid for, you are going to be, having a low paying job for a while your growth will be stunted for sure yeah it will be stunted all right let's talk about let's see here i'm looking through my notes um we already talked about doing things that don't pay off immediately 
Um, let's talk about taking a stand for what's right, and then we'll be done. All right. And these are all things I'm encouraging, especially the young people, start doing these things and watch your life take off. Watch people start respecting you. Watch influence come. Watch opportunities and doors open for you when you stop buying into the myth that your youth days are for you to sit around and do nothing until you get out of your teenage years. So doing the hard things that go against what everyone else is doing. This is taking a stand for what is right. Um, so if, you know, the, the, the classic phrase, you know, if all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you do the same thing, right? Would, would you do it too? Excuse me. Just because enough people are doing the wrong thing doesn't make it right. So when we tend to follow the crowd, it's easier. We will justify doing something that is wrong because enough people are also doing it. And I think I've talked about this before in a podcast. This is called mob mentality, mm. right? When you're in a large group, it's easier to remain anonymous. So the responsibility is shared amongst a large group of people, right? If, if a brick is thrown through a window, it's really hard to, to put that responsibility on one person because everyone is doing the wrong thing. Um, it's spread out. There's shared guilt and shame is spread out too, making it easier for you to stomach, right? If you do something wrong by yourself and you're the only one who did that wrong thing, there's a lot more guilt and shame. But when a crowd of 100 people are doing the exact same thing, you become calloused to the shame and the guilt that comes that's associated with it, right? So although humans exhibit strong preferences for equity and moral prohibitions against harm in many contexts, I'm reading a quote, I'm not this smart, People's priorities change when there's an us and them. So this is uh, Rebecca Sachs, the co-author um, of uh, the Associate Professor of Cognitive Neuroscience at MIT. So she wrote, uh, co-authored a book on this. Um, so she said, a group of people will often engage in actions that are contrary to the private moral standards of each individual in that group. Uh, sweeping otherwise decent individuals into mobs that commit looting, vandalism, and even physical brutality. This study went on to show that a certain part of your brain becomes inactive when you're in a mob. This is called the medial prefrontal cortex. This part of your brain is used for decision-making, and it rationalizes and calculates risk for long-term consequences and effects. So when people are taking part of the mob mentality, this part of their brain is essentially shut off. It's their own personal moral code. It shuts off. So like I alluded to earlier, not many of us would just randomly throw a brick through a window, but if there was a riot in the street and you were in the middle of it, your chances of breaking a window now have just increased because there's shared responsibility, right? And that part of your brain kind of shuts off. So Again, bad company corrupts good morals. That's 1 Corinthians 15.33. You hang around the wrong kind of people long enough, eventually your sense of morality will be corrupted. And your morals are not just a set of ideas and principles, but they're convictions that should be rooted deep in your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Or other translations say, out of it flow the issues of life, the parameters, the guidelines, or the boundaries of your life. Whatever you let into your heart settles and takes root. This is why you must guard it. You must have some form of security that monitors and gauges what is allowed in. The security system of your heart is the word of God. Okay? It's almost impossible to take a stand for what is right when you're sitting in what is wrong. Don't expect to defy evil when all you do is engage with it. 
And this is subtle sometimes. Maybe it's not going to see that movie that everyone else is seeing. Um, you know, maybe it's not just not going to that party. Maybe you just need to understand that Jesus is with you wherever you go. You can't drop him off somewhere and then do something wrong. Mm. Okay. Jim Elliott said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So what he's saying here is that when we go with the crowd and compromise our convictions, it's usually because we're trying to hold on to something temporary, whether it be popularity or money. In the end, it won't matter. But when we do the right thing, oftentimes the result will be a loss in something that we couldn't hold on to anyways. But our reward is much greater. It's heavenly. It's eternal. When we understand that, doing the hard thing of taking a stand will always be the easier choice. Through every stand, God strengthens your convictions. Good you got word, something? I, I'm saving it up for the outro. All right. You're on a roll, brother. Okay. Wrapping up. <laughs> First Peter 3.17, for it's better if... so. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil, right? So let's talk about knowing when and how to take a stand. So before we start throwing ourselves in front of bulldozers with picket signs, right, to save the rainforest, we need to think more carefully about how and when we should take a stand. So wisdom will teach us how to take a stand at the right time for the right thing, for the right reasons. So real quick, we're going to go over some principles to guide you in taking a stand. Okay. Number one, start with the Bible. What does God's word say on the topic? Okay. Even if the activity isn't directly forbidden in the Bible, is it in line with other scriptural principles? Just because something is in new is new or odd doesn't necessarily make it unbiblical. Scripture holds more than enough clear commands. So always start with what the word of God is clear about. Number two, examine yourself, okay? Don't get caught up in trying to get the speck out of someone else's eye when you've got a plank in your own eye, okay? So challenging cultural norms starts with you and the commands that you may already know, but you're ignoring, okay? Uh, this doesn't mean that you have to be perfect before you can extract someone else, but it does mean you have to be fighting your own battles yourself before you engage with others. Number three, listen to your conscience, okay? E.W. Kenyon said this, that the conscience, your conscience is the voice of your spirit. Your, your spirit communicates with your mind through your conscience. We have a God-given sense of what is right and what is wrong. As we uh, read his word, the sense becomes more fine-tuned, okay? If you can't do something with a clear conscience, even when others say that you can, you shouldn't be doing it. Number four, seek godly counsel, okay? Uh, tell them what you think God's word says and what your own spirit is telling you and ask him what the, what they would do if they were in your position, right? Proverbs 12, 15 uh, says that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Number five, be humble, loving, and bold. So the attitude in which you take a stand is just as important in the stand that you're taking, okay? You can ruin your own witness, uh, and, ca and cause if your own, if your stand is taken in anger, retaliation, or contempt. Okay, these are contrary to God's word. We must stand boldly, even forcefully in some situations, but we have to do it from a place of love and humility. Okay, uh, there's that cliche saying, hate the sin, not the sinner. Don't want to confuse the two. Um, so, and number six, be a part of the solution. Don't gain a reputation by always being against everything. You want to be known by what you're for, not by what you're against. Okay, so 
Those are the, 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 the hard things that we must do if you're going to break out of the myth of adolescence. So if you haven't listened to part one, go listen to part one, and then you've already listened to this one. Um, hopefully that's blessed you. Hopefully it encourages you, it challenges you. Um, if you, again, are a parent of youth, start expecting a little bit more out of them. And, and um, you know, in, the, in, in part one, we talked about those, the, when you place higher expectations on people, their performance level raises. Um, anyways, what's, what's your thoughts? Really great. The way I would break it up is part one is the situation we find ourselves in. Part two are the actions to take to get ourselves yeah. to a new situation yes, we find ourselves out in, in our culture. And it starts off with doing hard things. And I thought of the two circles, the circle of influence and the circle of concern. And if we focus on the outer circle, which is the larger circle for most of us, what concerns us, we feel disempowered because it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. But if we focus on the inner circle, which is the circle of influence, what we can do, making our bed, cleaning our room, doing our homework, taking care of our grandma, that circle gets larger and our life gets larger. And that's exactly yeah. what it's about. It's increasing our output. Then you started talking about doing things bigger than yourself, yeah. which I really like. You said that God will give us the hammer and then we ask him to swing it. Yeah. Another way that I heard it from a minister was that we ask God for tables to eat at and chairs to sit in at the table and God gives us trees. Mm. So we Make ask the for table. the final result. God gives us the raw material. Yeah. And I good. think that so often what it does, which again, when we recognize, oh, there's a tree there, it works a process in us in producing yeah. with him the final result. Which is really right. great. And then you started talking about how we can do more with people. And on the last point, the fourth point, sub point of that, having godly counsel. Yeah. And a speaker that I look up to a lot that I just recently met in person in Alabama, Andy Andrews, he said that every person should have a board of directors. And you may not be able to pay for a board of directors. And he said, I understand that it's not a formal thing. It's an informal thing. But you should have internally recognized and defined a group of people that mm -hmm. you see whether they know it or not as your board of directors yeah. and you have a board meeting you take things to them and you talk yeah. to them and he said often they will give you better advice if they don't know they have right. the responsibility to be your mentor mm. it'll be more free it'll be more open it'll be out of their heart and he compared it to the importance of having the right people around us by saying we always tell our kids hey if your friends jumped off a bridge would you do it come on and the importance of having the right friends. But what age does that change? Is it true for the 18-year-old? Yeah. Is it true for the person in college? Yeah. yeah. But once you get a job and a career, it doesn't matter who your friends are. No. Of course it does. So great points. And you're not just stating them. The book that you got a lot of these yeah. ideas aren't stating them from. Wisdom shouts them from the rooftops. Yes, it does. That this is the way to improve your Incline life. Incline your ears. Yeah, the book I'm referring to, if you haven't listened to the first one yet, is Do Hard Things by the Harris Brothers. Um, and so they were they were teenagers when they wrote this book. And they patterned their life after these principles, doing things that were beyond themselves and opened massive doors of influence and opportunity in their lives. Uh, so that was your wisdom of the day. My wisdom of the day is oh. have godly people around you there that you can be your board of directors. Man, I did all that. Um the one thing that I really always like to refer to is just even in my own life is that courage isn't, isn't the absence of fear, you know, but it's 
being able to do something even when you are afraid and the the airplane analogy how it gets off the ground not by getting rid of gravity but superseding it with a more powerful law and so we understand that the word of God is more powerful. What he says about us is more powerful than what anyone says about us or how we're feeling in the moment. And when we take a step despite feeling afraid, that's what gets rid of the fear. But we will never accomplish anything in life if we're waiting for the fear to leave before we take action. So yeah, awesome. Yeah, we went 40 minutes. That's all right. We we we, we, we researched the Strait of Magellan. <laughs> Don't be so disappointed. <laughs> Why don't you pray us out? All right, Father God, we thank you um, for the call that you've put on our lives. It's bigger than ourselves, which means we got to collaborate with you and other people to get it done and rely on your spirit, rely on your grace that gives us the strength and the, and the courage and the ability to do something we wouldn't be able to do in our own strength. So I pray, Father God, that we wouldn't settle for just mediocrity and just getting by. But if you place something on our heart, it means that we are to multiply in our, in our influence, Father God, in our reach. I just uh, thank you that you are showing us, you're helping us find the right people who can collaborate with us and help us accomplish with what, what, what you've called us to do. And I pray, Father God, that we would not embrace the societal norms, whether we're a teenager or late in our years, that we always have a plan, that there is always a call on our life, no matter what age we are. And I thank you that you've equipped us to get it done, no matter the age. We pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's all that we have for today. But I am very excited about what I'm going to share next week on the Sewing and Growing podcast. So set your reminder, get ready. Drops on Monday. We'll see you next week.